Amen. Amen. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. That was slightly enthusiastic. How are you guys doing? There, there you go. Huh? That's a little better. Goodness gracious. I'm going to put you all to sleep in about 30 seconds, so that's where we're starting. Oh, uh, my name's Tyler. Glad that you're here. Uh, one of the pastors. Thank you guys so much for joining us online as well. By the way, uh, we've been fiddling. Just before I get into what we're doing this morning, I need to say two things. There are two announcements. Notice we did not stop worship this morning for announcements, but I'll give them here. So here's the two most important things you need to walk away with today is one, uh, there's the study, uh, Forgotten God, that comes after the service at 1230. Um, if you haven't signed up, it's not too late. You can grab a book today. And then two, our next family outing is March 11th at River Legacy. It's going to be a little family hike. So it's not just for kids. It could be entire families. Whether you have kids or not, it's fine. But if you want to do something on the 11th, I'd love for you to join us at River Legacy. There will be more details there. Okay? So there's the two most important things that I needed to say before. Hopefully there's a little bit more in the services in this passage this morning. Um, recap for last week. So last week was Tailgate Sunday. If you were here, I hope you guys had a good time. Sorry, Travis, that Super Bowl didn't work out for you. Uh, you know. <laughs> hey, at least we made it. Uh, at least <laughs> he didn't hear it. He said at least they made it as an Eagle fan. You know, all I know is this, as I was watching the game kind of slip away, I was like, well, you know, I always know where I'm walking well with the Lord if like I'm playing golf and I hit the tree, which I often do, and it bounces ahead into the fairway as opposed to out of the fairway even more, right? I was watching the Eagles play and let the game slip away. I was like, hmm, it says something about you. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. It doesn't say anything about anything, <laughs> actually. Um, we had a good time. We shared our vision for this year, which is fruitfulness. We want to be fruitful this year. God is calling our church to fruitfulness in connection with Christ and with others and giving our lives away, which is a nice little dovetail into our passage this morning. We're going to focus on a story of sacrifice in the book of Ruth. That's where we're going to be. And I was just saying something else, too. We talked a lot about uh, or at the end of this passage or the sermon last week, which is you're God's draft pick for the world. I don't know if you believe that or not. And I was thinking a lot about this week. I was like, oftentimes I don't feel like a draft pick, right? Like, I just don't feel that way. I feel like there's so many things that are in my life and in my world that keep me from feeling that way. Which actually, that's my identity. And so I just want to say, if you don't feel like you have what it takes to do what God's asked you to do, um, I would say that's absolutely not true. Because Jesus died for that. And then two, usually i found the things, at least in my life, especially this week, is that usually when I don't feel like I have something to contribute or offer to the world or to the people that I love, it's because I've made an agreement or I'm believing a lie about what Satan would say who I am based on how I've lived or what I've done. Right? So I just want to throw that there this morning. If you don't feel like you have what it takes to get off the bench, I actually, absolutely you do because of Jesus' death. Like I said, it's, a, it's the story of sacrifice in Ruth this morning, and it's the stories of sacrifice that often move our hearts, right? Like, if you think about it, like, it's, it's the story of sacrifice that brings water to thirsty mouths, heat to a cold room, and light to a dark place. That's what sacrifice does. It brings light to dark, it brings water to thirst, and it brings warmness to coldness. 
And when you think about some of your favorite movies, I'm sure, we're like, if we, I said, what's your, you know, what's your top five movie list of all time? I don't know what you would say. There's several in mind, but I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to bet that there's a story of sacrifice in one of the movies that you would throw in your top five or top ten list. Right, when you think about Star Wars or Star Trek or Lord of the Rings or Marvel, all the things, there's always this, this the person, the, the, protagonist, the protagonist of the story, does the driver of the story have what it takes to lay their lives down for the others around them? Right? That's what drives the story. And usually there's the conflict in the road. It's never from point A to point B. It's like point A to Z, and then they get back to where they are. And then they, they figure it out, and then they do what they need to do. And that's the story of Ruth this morning. Ruth. And so I'm going to set the story for Ruth. So there's a famine in Israel, specifically Bethlehem, as we'll see in the passage in just a minute. And Elimelech and Naomi, their husband and wife, and their sons, Malon and Chilion, go to Moab. So there's no food. They're from Bethlehem. They live in Bethlehem, which is really close, just a few miles south of Jerusalem. And they leave Bethlehem because there's nothing to eat. All right, so just this idea that God's promised land is now in a period of where it's not producing something to sustain life. That's the idea. That's where Ruth starts. And so they move to Moab because there's food there. And Naomi and Elimelech's sons marry wives named Orpah and Ruth, right? And so Ruth starts with uh, the day of, as I was saying, just in Bethlehem, if there's no food. And so I just want to read the first five verses over us this morning, starting in chapter 1, in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, so this is before King Solomon, so just, for, just so you know. And so there were still judges that ruled. There was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. There you go, right? Sojourn, by the way, a sojourner. You often see sojourner used in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you would see foreigner alien, right? And so the idea of a sojourner is a newcomer lacking inherited rights. That's why the writer of Ruth is describing Elimelech and his family. They go to sojourn. They go somewhere where they don't have any rights to anything. They've left what they have rights to to go somewhere where they don't have rights of, of any, any kind. And so sojourn in the country Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, and they were Epaphrites, Epaphrites, I always mess that word up. From Bethlehem and Judah, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite, Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that there was a woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Right, so just, you know, they're leaving Bethlehem to go somewhere else to make a way better for themselves, and it actually gets worse. It actually gets worse. They're, they're not actually rescued. They were hungry, and now she's a widow. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but like sometimes we leave situations, we move from situation to situation looking for something better in the next situation or the next stage of life. 
And an already hard situation becomes that much harder. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I have, right? And, and Naomi, I would say it's like I wonder if she's thinking if she knew on the front end that if she left Bethlehem to go to Moab, that if she knew she was going to lose her entire family except for her daughters-in-law, would she go? Right? Would she go? And I think that's often, oftentimes God doesn't allow us to see the circumstances on the back end or on, you know, what's around the corner. Because he knows if we knew what we, he knew, then we wouldn't probably do what he wants us to do. Isn't that interesting? It always happens. You know, trying to find food, the family leaves everything behind, and all they encounter is more sorrow. And so I just want you to get this image. They leave God's promised land where they have inherited rights, going to a land where they don't have inherited rights, and instead of finding life, they actually find more sorrow and more death. I can imagine how Naomi felt. I mean, I grew up with a single mom and, you know, trying to make all the things work. We had, uh, my mom had a best friend and, um, you know, like, I don't know if you know what Shoney, do you all know what Shoney's are? Are those in Texas still? Maybe, maybe not. So what's, what's an equivalent? Maybe like a, a Jim's restaurant? Is that close? Or something, yeah, whatever, yeah, right, so, or Denny's, maybe a Denny's, so, like, we used to go on a Friday night, and no joke, we are like, hey, we're going to Shoney's, and we're like, oh my gosh, we're eating really, really good this week, right, I mean, so, like, that's the thing, like, I understand, like, I, I could put myself in Naomi's place about all the pressure and all the strain, and so here she was leaving, they were, her family was trying to make a way, and now all of a sudden she's responsible for these two women, and she has no support system around her. She has no support system around her. And she's experiencing all this death when she was looking for a season of staying afloat, which leads to delusionment, right? Like, this is the crux of the problem, right? On rock climbing, the hardest part of the climb is called the crux. And this is the crux of Naomi's climb in this season in her life, which is this, is, is that she could choose disillusionment and moving away from God as opposed to pressing in that then there's a ray of light, right? And while things look to be worse, they always have the potential for turnaround. I point you to verse 6. Verse 6 says this, And then she arose with her daughter-in-laws to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard, right? She had heard in the fields of Moab. So I just get this picture. She, here she is, you know, working the fields of Moab, trying to provide daily food for her and her two daughters-in-law, and she's heard Evidently, the word has traveled that the Lord has visited his people and given them food. And so she set out. It says that she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So I just want you to hear this, right? Like, no matter how dark things go, no matter how bleak it seems, no matter how hungry or thirsty you are, no matter how close or separated you feel from God, God always knows exactly what you need when you need it, which is truth number one. God knows exactly what you need exactly when you need it. And because Naomi here is trying to make her way in Moab, and she hears, oh, wait, I could return home. There's always another option. We have an option to be disillusioned, to fall away, or we could actually press in and we could return home in spite of all the circumstances. I don't know what your home is. 
We all have different ones. We all have different ideas of home. We have different experiences. We have different histories. But our home spiritually is to be with the Lord. Right? And so in these moments like what Naomi and Ruth are facing is that we have a choice to either press in and go home or not. God is making a way for Naomi to return home and she releases both Orpah and Ruth for the first time. I love that. I mean, like, I just, I just think this is interesting as I was kind of studying. For the first time in verse 8, we actually hear Naomi's vo- uh, voice shared here in verse 8. I'm going to read it to you. So, but Naomi said, so she's going to return home with her two daughters-in-law. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, actually, no, 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 hold on. Go return each of you to her, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Isn't that interesting? How interesting is that? That she's going home and she's like, actually, no, daughters, you can stay here because this is your home. And what you don't know is that Naomi actually has rights to keep both women as her daughters-in-law. According to the culture at the time, actually, they're tied to her unless she releases them But what I love here is Naomi, who could have been so concerned about herself, who had so much reason to be concerned about her situation and her circumstances, and she's actually thinking of her daughters because she's like, I'm going to be a widow forever. No, daughters, you go off and and, and have another shot at life, right? Because that's the question about circumstances when we move from season to season, isn't it? I don't know if I'm going to have a life beyond this season certainly feels like this season might be hard. It might be, you know, feel like it feels like death, right? I don't know what's next for me. And Naomi actually lets them go. What a sacrifice because she could keep them as her daughters-in-law forever. And, I mean, you know, like I'm a son-in-law and, like, I love my in-laws. But, like, here's the thing. Like, I don't know if they want to keep me around. But she could because she doesn't want to be alone anymore. But instead she lets them go. And Naomi's sacrifice, which it is, right, to be a woman of that age in that culture to move from one country back to another by herself. You know, there was safety in numbers. She is letting herself go in response for the betterment of her daughters-in-law. And look at verse 16. Let's skip it down a little bit. And so, actually, I'll back up and read 15. So she said, see... So she, she talks to him. They're arguing with her. Orpah goes. She kisses her mother-in-law and leaves. And, and Ruth is clinging to her. And in verse 15, she says, And see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. By the way, the God of Moab is different from the God of Israel. Return after your sister-in-law, Naomi says. And in verse 16, Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for Amazing passage. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Isn't that a sweet response? Isn't that a sweet response? So Naomi's sacrifice of letting Ruth go sets up the sacrifice for Ruth to stay. See how that works? See how that works? Naomi's sacrifice sets up Ruth's sacrifice to stay in. So instead of Naomi holding tightly on to what she is owed, instead of Naomi 
holding on and saying, no, I'm going to stay, I'm going to keep all this in for me because I'm in such a position, she actually gets what she lets go as it returns back to her. The quickest way to, which is freedom, right, for her, freedom, she's no longer alone, she's got Ruth with her. The quickest way to freedom is laying yourself down in the outcomes that you need slash want. Naomi's oppressed, she's alone, she's lost her home, in the process she's lost her husbands and her sons, she's left everything and now she's returning and she sacrifices her wants and desires and hands them over, lays them down for the betterment of her daughters-in-law. And Ruth, I just love this, Ruth who is so enamored with Naomi's grace. That's grace. Say, no, actually, you don't have to live the life that I'm going to have to live for the rest of my life. Go ahead and and leave. And she's so enamored. Ruth is so enamored. She goes, you know what? I'm going to go back. I could go back to my own country and find a husband. Like, I could make my situation better. But I'm staying because I don't care where you go, what you do. I'm in it to win it. I'll go where you go. I'll lodge where you lodge. And so Ruth, the Moabite, is willing to leave. Here's the other thing. Willing to leave behind her gods too. Her people, her future, her land. And what an amazing response it is. I will go where you go. I will lodge where you lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Which leads us to truth number two. You change your circumstances by giving yourself away. You want to change your circumstances, you give yourself away. You don't hold on tight. You don't white-knuckle it. You don't dig your fingernails into the ground, right? We've all seen those movies where people get dragged across, right? I mean, that's what happens. But you give yourself away. That's the beauty of Ruth and Naomi's story. Because here's the deal. The text does not indicate who Naomi is going back to. She's just heard there's food. She's heard that God's blessed the land again, so she's going back to her home. There's nobody for her to go back to, which means there's nobody for Ruth to go back to either. They're just going back. Their future is still in doubt, and she will be a widow probably for the rest of her life. Naomi will. But Ruth saves her from her isolation. You don't think you matter in people's lives? It's absolutely the, the, the worst thing that we could believe about ourselves in the church. It's the worst thing because we are needed in each other's lives. That's why fruitfulness with connection with Christ, it starts with Christ, but also connection with others is the second piece. It's just as important. And I love how it works itself out. Knowing, notice that going leads to lodging or a destination. So I don't know. Sorry, I'm having like trouble this morning. Um, I'm not wearing the shoes I wore last week. That's what the problem is. Anyway, those orange shoes, I love them. So um, here's the thing. Like when it comes to problems and the seasons that we're in, we don't think we're ever going to get out of it because we don't press in and go through it. But if you notice in the text, going leads to a destination. God wants you to go. He wants you to go to the destination that he has before you, which means you have to walk through the wilderness to get there. You've got to walk through the wilderness to get there. And so when you sacrificially go, I just want you to know this this morning, God will not have you in the wilderness forever. 
but it may feel like it, but he won't. But man, it certainly feels like all I see to the horizon is despair and darkness and wilderness. And that's what the seasons feel like, especially circumstances. I love also people leads to God. God uses relationships to make him a larger reality in people's lives. You want to know why people don't understand or feel like they could ever come to a church or somewhere or join a small group? It's because they don't know that people actually are the hands and feet of Jesus because they haven't experienced the hands of Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus through a person's loving care and touch and service. It's true. Now, this love, just this image, Ruth let go of her earthly God because Naomi's God is that much bigger in her life. That much bigger. You see that? Like when you come into contact with the God and the creator of the universe, all the other gods pale in comparison, even though they might have a pull or a tie still to our lives. This is the question I have for us this morning is back to if there's something that keeps you on the bench, I'm willing to bet that it might have to it might be an earthly God that's rattling around somewhere in here. Right? So what earthly gods like Ruth, what earthly gods do we need to let go as God's people? Comfort? Is that a God? Convenience? Safety? I don't know. Right? So much of our world is geared towards safety and comfort and ease and convenience when that's through the history of the planet that has not been their story. And yet we wrap ourselves up in a, in, a, in, a, in a safety blanket a lot of the times, which is why the vision for this year is so important. We can't push back these things without being fruitful. We have to be fruitful. That's why this group's important. That's why these small groups are important. As we continue to launch these, spa- these spaces, spaces excuse me, this year so that we have a place to relate to one another inside and outside the church. Because here's what I know. Truth number three, behavior always follows belief. Get that? Behavior always follows belief. Naomi knew that she could believe that God had something for her, even though she didn't know what it looked like. So what'd she say? I'm returning. Here you go. Go live your life, Ruth. Go live your life, Orpah. It's okay. I'll be okay. Behavior always follows belief. But what I think we do actually instead is as we flip it, don't we? We flip it. By the way, I thought this was really interesting. In the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew canon, not our Old Testament that I'm reading out of this morning, but in, our he- in the Hebrew scriptures, Ruth follows Proverbs. Isn't that interesting? And the last, uh, the last uh, proverb, Proverbs 31, Solomon describes a woman. And I just want to read this over you, over us this morning. Chapter 31, starting in verse 29. So, Ruth follows Proverbs, and Solomon writes this in 29. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. He's writing to a woman. Starts in verse 10, an excellent wife who could find 
This is for all women. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her, uh, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. In the gates. Isn't that interesting? I mean, Proverbs is dealing with wisdom. It talks about it from a male perspective. It talks about it from a female perspective. And Solomon ends the proverb in 31 talking about a woman who is to be praised because her, her, her reputation, her persona, it, you know, it has reached the gates. And then the book of Ruth comes right after in, 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 their, in their scriptures. Why is Ruth worthy is the question. And it's because she allowed her beliefs to influence her behavior. She changed her behaviors because her beliefs were changing. Now, imagine if Ruth could have said this, right? Let me fake it till I make it, right? She could have said, well, I'll go. I don't know if I believe or not, but I'll go, right? And, and that's the thing. There is no half-hearted go. You either do or you don't, right? Ruth either stays or she leaves. And what I think is interesting is that how much of the I'm going to fake it till I make it has infiltrated our thought processes as followers. Right? There is certainly struggle. There is certainly a season where we're trying to learn. Right? I'm not saying that at all. Like There is the struggle. There is the growing. And that happens in conflict. And it happens when we make mistakes. All those things. But what I want to say is that we don't have to fake it till we make it because our God is not a fake it or make it God. He's not a fake it or make it God. Because there's no room for that in the kingdom. Otherwise, we're just playing the game, right? We're just playing the game. And, I th- and, and for me, I think what I want to see out of fruitfulness for this year is that we don't play the game. I don't want to play the game. There's a, you know, I have enough of that in my life anyway, right? But like, that doesn't help anybody around me. So just imagine if Ruth's response was, let me fake it till I make it. So Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem, and their kindness and their kindness falls upon them due to the generosity of Boaz. Boaz. And so Boaz has the opportunity to take Ruth as his bride. Okay, so just a couple of pages over. So Ruth and Naomi go back. They're staying with some extended family. They're getting food out of the field, and this man who owns the field, his name is Boaz, he takes kindness upon Ruth as she's gathering food for her and Naomi, and eventually they start circling each other, and they're like, I don't know, maybe, maybe Boaz is the person for me, because I could have found a person in Moab, but yet I'm supposed to follow Ruth because her people are going to be my people, and her God, my God, and, I just, and, and Boaz here redeems Ruth, and by extension, redeems Naomi. And so we're picking up the story in chapter 4, starting in verse 14. It says this. And so Boaz has an opportunity to marry her. He's like, no, let me see if the Lord's in it. And then it's confirmed. And then there's this culmination in 14, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Just love that, a redeemer, and may his 
name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And so Ruth and Boaz marry. They have a son. And now Naomi, who was faced with a life of no relationships and separation in a far-off country, has returned home. And God has brought full circle exactly what she had given herself away for, which was set in motion by her decision, right? That's what we don't know. We don't know what decisions will do down the stream. That Naomi's decision enabled Ruth's sacrifice to return with her, which ultimately, which ultimately set up Boaz to become the redeemer of them both. And I love this. Boaz had the means, but he also had the vision to be the redeemer. Right? And so here's the thing. I mean, he was a rich man, and, and God had blessed him. And so sometimes we have the means to bless, but we don't have the vision. Right? So God, will you give me the vision to see others' needs around me? I have these means, whether it's time, talent, or treasure, but I don't have the vision. I don't see the need. Will you show me the need to do so? Sometimes we have the vision, but not the means to be the redeemer. God, will you give me the means to be a redeemer? This is what it means to be a follower of God. No matter what our circumstances, I can be other-centered. I know that's hard, right? Because we have lives, we have people we're responsible for, we have all the things. But don't miss this. The redeeming was culminated in Boaz, but it started with Naomi, right? And so to let a lack of vision or means to keep us from living a redeemer lifestyle within and outside the church is truly a poverty mindset, isn't it? Because we have a God who owns all the cattle on all the hills, and he reallocates as he sees fit. But God always says he never allows vision or means to get in the way of doing what you and I are called to do. And it flows out of who we are to be. And it's not to walk out a poverty mindset. There is no room for a poverty mindset in the kingdom. For we all need of Christ to be redeemed. And we all carry Christ. And so, but there's a double meaning here. And I alluded to it. Sometimes we get passages where it's talking about the story and the context. But then there's a larger meaning that's overarching. And this is one of those passages. Like if, you're, if you love Old Testament prophecy about Jesus... This is it. This is one of them. There's other places. There's Isaiah. There's all the others. But this one's a good one. I'll read it again. I stopped short. Let me read verse 17. So Naomi's got her grandbaby on her lap. She's just got hired to be the nurse. And if, you, if, you're, if you're a mom in the room and have kids who have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Like All of a sudden, it's like, here you go, mom. Thanks for being my mom. Now you get to be mom to my kid. There you go. My mom's like, hey, I'll do whatever I can do. I'm like, well, you're in Tennessee. You can't really help that much, but that's okay. You want to come in and, and babysit, that's fine. Although my kids aren't babies, but they're still babies. But anyway, okay. Verse 17, in the women, remember, remember we ended Proverbs with her reputation goes ahead of her in the gates. So verse 17, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. This is the son. So this is interesting. 
A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. Okay? Interesting name. I don't know if that's what I would want my son to be named, but there you go. And he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. Isn't that interesting? Obed became the father of Jesse, who became the father of David. And if you know, we could turn to Matthew right now and read the, gener- the, the lineage of Jesus. And we're going to see David in there, but we're also going to see Ruth. Because out of the Davidic line, out of David's line, comes the Messiah. And Ruth gets interwoven into as she responds to Naomi's sacrifice by saying, no, actually, I'm going to go. You're going to be my people. I'm going to lodge where you lodge. And your God is going to be my God. Because I love this, this, this picture. God's chosen people, and there is room left in God's chosen family so that an outsider, a sojourner, or someone lacking inherited rights could come in and feel the benefit. That's the question of this year. Can our church, can we as a people live our lives in such a way that others could feel the benefit of it? Not just us. Because Jesus has a Gentile in his family line, now he has a bunch of them too. Isn't that great? Because here's truth number four. You never know how far-reaching your sacrifice will go. You just don't. And I think we get all the time, we get opportunities to say yes to sacrifice and no to self. And it gets really hard at times to, to do that. I get it. I totally get it. Because Jesus has a Gentile in his family, now he has a bunch of them. And so as we turn our hearts from the scriptures back, or scriptures to her hearts, I want you to look at, we just finished verse 17 in chapter 4. I want to go back to chapter 1 and read that verse 17 again, okay? As we're closing here. Never know how far our sacrifice will go. Ruth is, and and Naomi's just let Ruth go. And I didn't, she said, your people shall be my people, your God my God. And then she says this in verse 17. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. What a thing to say by a daughter-in-law. Goodness gracious, because I don't know if I'm saying that to my in-laws, but Ruth did. But Ruth did. Here's a, let me paraphrase it. May the Lord kill me and more if anything but death parts me from you. That's her commitment. And this is where this is the double meaning in chapter 4, is that Jesus says in the New Testament that we find life when we give our lives up for something else. Do you want to find your life? Jesus said, he said, lose it. He didn't say hold on to it. He didn't say stop. He says, actually, walk through the wilderness, walk through the desert, walk in spite of all the circumstances and give your lives up which is hope, right? I have a hope that no matter what my circumstances are, like Naomi's hope, no matter what her circumstances are, that because of Christ, I can press in and walk through whatever is in front of me, even though it might cost me my life. 
Because if I'm a follower and I want to love Jesus well, if we want to love Jesus well, we already know that we're living on borrowed time. We're already living on borrowed time. Which leads us to truth number five. Hope comes when we follow Christ at the expense of ourselves and everything else. That's hope. Because I am no longer, when I decide to do that, when we decide to do that as a people, to follow Christ at the expense of everything else. Now you're like, easy for him to say, he's a pastor. This is his job. Would he do this if he wasn't being paid? I certainly hope so. I hope so. Because I don't think I'm going to get to heaven one day and he's going to say, he's not doing a job of performance on me, right? He's saying, Tyler, did you become like me? Did you live your life in such a way that you helped others feel close to me? Did you give your life away? It has nothing to do with where my salary comes. Because hope comes when we follow Christ at the expense of everything else. That's it. That's it. And so I would say, like, there are times in my life where I have not felt very hopeful. And when I start looking at my heart and checking where I am, I start noticing I'm not following him at the expense of everything else. Amen? Band's going to come back. And so before we sing, I would encourage you to read Ruth this week because I left so much on the table. It's four chapters It'll take you like 10 minutes. Read it this week and just see how God miraculously orchestrates their circumstances for their betterment. But before we sing, I want to reread Ruth chapter 1, verses 15 and 17 over us. But I want to read it in a perspective of Jesus in Naomi's place and Ruth in ours. Okay? So I want you to just hear this. Instead of Naomi, this is Jesus saying in verse 15, See your sister-in-law, see your people have gone back to their people and to their gods. Return after your people. But then this would be our response to Christ. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And glory to God, your God shall be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord do so more to me if anything but death parts me from you. That's the walk right there. Straight out of Ruth's words straight out of her mouth and what set that up was Naomi's sacrifice of letting her go I'm going to pray I'm going to ask you to stand what I want you to encourage you to think through as you read through Ruth this week is this some of us have some things that we need to let go of it could be good things it could be hard things I don't know only you know what that is some of us need to respond like Ruth did and say, all right, I'm going to go. Right? That's it. We're either letting go or we're going. So I want to pray that for us. And as we sing, my prayer is that the Spirit would allow you to see what it is that you need to see and where you are. Because you never know how far your choice and your sacrifice will go.
Amen. Lord, as we pray, I ask that you would show each of us exactly where we are in that equation. Some of us, Lord, need to let some things go. It can be good things, it can be bad things, it can be hard things, it can be hurts from many years ago. I don't know. We all have those things and probably all over the spectrum. But my prayer, God, is that we let those things go and the control and the voice they have over our lives so that we can step forward through the wilderness and find the place where you want us to be. God, for some of us, Lord, you're just waiting for us to take a step. You're waiting for us to take a step. We've let that go, but we're still sitting on the bench. We're still waiting for you to show us the path. And you're like, the path is before us. All you have to do is take a step. You don't have to know where the path is. God, you know where the path is. So my prayer is that, Lord, that some of us would lay some things down and some of us would take steps in courage and freedom freedom with just a little more trust in you than we have of ourselves to comprehend or to make our circumstances in our lives work. God, that's a holy work because you say, actually, no, pick up our cross and follow you. That's what this is. And so for us to be the people you want us to be, it's not to do what you want us to do. We have to believe in our hearts and our souls, Jesus, that you are good and that you are safe, even though you call us to unsafe waters. So I ask that you would move in our midst. I thank you that in a little story like Ruth, Lord, that your glory and your preeminence can stand and be so crystal clear in the birth of a baby. Thank you. It's in your name. Amen.